Hello and welcome to another episode of The Extras. Uh, Lachlan here again. This week I'm joined by Tinnick, one of our ministry apprentices. Welcome, Tinnick. Thank you. I'm keen to be on. I think it's my first time. Yeah, I think it is. I think it is. Uh, glad to have you with us. Now, you weren't preaching over the weekend, but I was. Yes. And I thought rather than talk to myself for 30 minutes, which no one wants to hear, uh, I might get you in and you can grill me with some of the questions that came through. So that's the plan. Yeah, I'd love to do that. It's it's always good fun. You actually asked one of the questions that we're going to get to. So, you know, you've got right. some extra some, skin in the game. Something to look forward yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. This week we're talking about generosity. Uh, we're in a little series where on Sundays at St. Paul's, we've been looking at the overflowing life, the life of faith. What What is the rich life? What is the faithful life that overflows? What are the things that overflows in? And so we particularly spent time in 2 Corinthians 9, looking at all of God's generosity towards us uh, and the call for us to be cheerful givers. Uh, mm. I love the language in 9 verse 7. That's where my big idea came just straight from. God loves cheerful givers. Uh, it's a wonderful truth that encourages us to give because that love uh, I highlighted for us, it's not just approval. It's not just enjoyment. It's mm. an active love. God loves cheerful givers by providing them with their needs, providing more than they need. Mm. increasing their harvest of righteousness and deepening their relationships with those that they give towards. And in the midst of all of that, he takes glory for himself. People praise and thank God when we are generous. So God loves cheerful givers. That's yeah. what we've seen. Well, A bunch of questions came through. What have we got, Tinnick? Yeah, I mean, the, the whole thing was about giving. Mm. Um, so one of the questions we got was, well, do we always have to give in the form of money? Or are there other forms that we can give? Like our, like there's stuff like time and energy. Those are things we can give. Yeah, it's really helpful to ask and clarify that. And I think this came up at all of the different services mm. across the last couple of weekends. Uh, there certainly are other ways that we can spend ourselves in service of others. Giving our time, giving our energy. Those are good things. We did particularly want to focus on financial generosity right. in this particular week. Uh, next week, some of you might have heard this sermon already, Raj is opening up for us the topic of life together and our fellowship mm. and the character that we should have towards one another. I think there are other words in the Bible that can pick up that kind of giving. Okay. You might think about yeah, love for one another. That shows itself in spending our time mm. and energy. I think there is value in just focusing in on financial generosity and uh, yeah, sometimes we can use those other types of giving as an excuse not to give financially. Mm. I'm not saying that the person who's asked this has done that, but we have to watch that. Yeah, that We don't want to cling to our money and give ourselves in other ways. But certainly, um, we should give all of our lives for one another. Jesus, The generosity of Jesus expressed in 2 Corinthians 8, it's couched in financial terms, but his giving was very much the, the giving of his life over mm. to death. And so give give our whole selves to God yeah. and to one another, definitely. So there's some, some good in giving your time and energy to, big to time. investing that in others. But yeah, big time. at least for what we've been talking about in 2 Corinthians, that's mm. been mostly on the financial side. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. Um, you mentioned there were three directions for Christian giving. There were local church leaders, missions, and the poor. Uh, what about giving to one's family? Mm. Um, the person's written here, doesn't the Bible warn us not to use devotion to God as an excuse to not feed the family? Yeah, good pickup. Uh, there are a couple of places that talk about the obligation Christians have 
particularly for parents when they age. So 1 Timothy is one of those places where he's mm. talking about the, the widow's list that a church might have. Yep. And, you know, those widows who have children, well, it's imperative on the children to provide. Otherwise, mm. uh, Paul says there, they're worse than unbelievers. Right. It's kind of, um, that's how strong yep. the obligation yeah. is. This is not even just a Christian thing. This is a natural obligation on children to support their aging parents when mm. they can't work themselves. Um, whoever's asked this has also picked up something that Jesus critiques. Uh, part of his critique of the Pharisees is that they kind of excuse mm. people from that obligation of care by saying, well, no, I'm going to give this money to God. Mm. Uh, and therefore they let their parents wither away without the support. So yeah. Jesus is very much against that. I think I didn't put that into these directions of giving, maybe because it's such a strong obligation language. Like it's not necessarily yeah. seen as generosity. It's just seen as something you are responsible for. Right. But I'm not, I don't know how fine a distinction that is. I mean, yeah. in a sense, freeing up local church leaders is couched in obligation terms as well. Mm. Not as strong, I guess, as the I family see. one. Yeah. So I think, those other three directions that we talked about, there's some level of choice, I guess, okay. in that. Yeah. Whereas the family one, you know, that language is very strong. Mm. Worse than an unbeliever if you're not providing for your parents yeah. in that way. Yeah. No, that's helpful. That's helpful. So a bit more obligation mm. towards family, supporting one's family, um, and I guess slightly erring towards more of generosity. Uh, that's my hunch. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so, should the church itself model giving to the poor directly as a body together rather than individually? That's an interesting question. Uh, the modern church appears to outsource this, uh, but it mm. seems to be a departure from what was a pattern in churches over the centuries. And I think there's bits in Acts that talk about mm. uh, how they sold things mm. so they mm. could give to the poor. Yeah. This is a great question to ponder, and I, I don't have a thorough answer I don't know all of church history and what this looked like across the centuries. You've mentioned ACT and that, that is a really helpful starting point. I know that, you know, hospitals, what, what we call the modern hospital, very different from the way hospitals started, mm -hmm. but uh, there was a particular Pope that mandated every church should have a hospital attached to it as right. a way of caring. And, you know, mm -hmm. that takes finances yeah. to make that happen. Um, so certainly there was organisational giving in those different forms across the years. One of the things I do want to say on this is that I was careful in my language of talking about the directions of giving and that one of those directions was to free up local church leaders. Now, that is different to saying giving to the local church. I see. Yep. Uh, you might not have picked up that distinction, but I was talking about the purposes for that giving and a local church might be the conduit for which each of those three purposes is met. So right. you could structure things so that everyone gives to the local church, that frees up the leaders, that also then the church channels that money towards mm. different missionaries yep. and the church also channels that money towards the poor. Mm. Mm. You could do it that way. Uh, as a church at St. Paul's, we do some of that. Yep. So there's a portion of the money that comes into church that goes off to missions. Mm. There's a portion that is set aside for those that have need within our congregation. Yep. Uh, and someone made a helpful comment rather than a question saying that we need to be a church where people make known their needs. Mm, I want to affirm that. Yeah, That's yeah. right. If you are listening to this and your needs are not being met, if you are struggling to have food and clothing, a roof over your head, please let us know. Mm. We, we have means within the budget uh, from the money that's given to provide for those things. But I think there can be, oh, I don't 
don't know, I guess a level of efficiency in working together as a diocese in the support of the poor. So yeah. something like Anglicare mm. that we, again, as a church, give some money to and that helps to really, I think, expand our care for the poor because mm. we're not a whole bunch of individual local churches trying yeah, to work yeah. out the resources for that. But mm. we can work together. Mm. Uh, and so I think that enhances the effectiveness of our giving. Um, you know, it, if we were to channel it all as a local church, there'd be some changes in the way we structure things here. Mm. Uh, that could be okay. But I don't think it's a, an either or right or wrong. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, not a... It, uh, yeah, I don't yeah. think it's a right or wrong thing here. I think there's options mm. uh, and we work out what's going to be the most effective. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we can then factor that into our individual giving. By having a look at whatever church you're in, they might do this differently. Have a look at the budget, see what proportion of money is going towards those different purposes mm. and see if that matches up with the proportion that you want to be giving to those different purposes. Mm. Yeah. Um, but yes, freeing up local church leaders, that's not the only thing that mm. giving to local yeah. church does. There's a distinction there. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And I think if everything were to go through the local... This is just a reflection of mine. Mm. But if, if everything were to go through the local church, then maybe we wouldn't be fostering that heart of generosity to different the different purposes because you might just see it all as church giving that's that's one possibility and i know on the mission side of things some churches do think about it that way and mm. you know they don't give out of the central pot to mission but they encourage congregation members yeah. to do that there's pros and cons to both i suppose i think i was thinking about our partnership with compassion on this as well mm. you know where do we fit that um the money doesn't come through church to there but Certainly, as a church, we're strong mm. in encouraging yeah, yeah. that kind of giving. Uh, so I think that's something we're doing to, to see money get to the poor as a body. But it's still individuals forming those individual yeah. connections. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. We yeah. should ask, well, well, not should, we could ask Parish Council and the Wardens. I mean, if we wanted to channel it all as a local church, we're increasing their could. roles. Could ask them. have to think about layers of bureaucracy and... <laughs> Figuring out, yeah. So that's that's where there can be some efficiencies in finding those who are good at that level of work mm. and can find the needs and channel the right resources there. Yeah, yeah, makes a lot of sense. Um, so, yeah, you spoke about giving. Um, I personally felt quite challenged mm. um, hearing that, um, especially the idea that we God gives us more than we need so we can give. Mm. That was particularly challenging for me. And so we've got another question here. It says, is this a call or challenge to test God by mm. exercising our faith by giving? Yeah. The language of testing God, it, it's... I assume whoever's asking this, there's a negative connotation to mm. that, right? It's not something that we're... We're told not to test God. And there's examples mm. of the Old Testament of people testing God and... That's not a good thing. Mm. Um, so I don't, I don't think we're talking about testing God here. I think we're talking about trusting God. Uh, God's made certain promises. His promise to be our provider, not just in this passage in Corinthians, but elsewhere in the New Testament as well. You think mm. of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't worry about tomorrow. Each day has mm. enough worry of its own. If yeah, God yeah. clothes the flowers of the field and feeds the birds of the sky, will he not much more feed you? Mm. God is a providing God, and he calls us to trust him in that. Uh, the, a bit earlier in this section, so 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 kind of come together mm. as a unit talking about this giving. Earlier on in chapter 8, 
Paul, I think, helps us to see that this is a call to trust God with the future. And I, I, I reckon we struggle with that today. I struggle with this today. And our whole financial system, um, we, we live in a society where we're encouraged that financial wisdom includes looking ahead at your own provision and your financial independence mm. in the future. How can you provide for yourself? Yes. Yeah. We've got all sorts of things around that. That's, that's the current financial wisdom. Paul, in a sense, I think challenges that a bit in chapter 8, verse 13. So he's calling the Corinthians to give. He says, Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Mm. The goal is equality. As it's written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Do you recognise where that's quoting from, Tinnick? Uh, well, the footnote tells me Exodus. Yes. Uh, good use of footnotes. Uh, this is talking about Israel in the wilderness when God fed them with manna. I see. Yeah. And that was a period where Israel was learning to trust God day by day. Mm. Uh, God provided mm. the manna each night. At the start, they didn't trust God, and so they tried to collect more than they needed for the day. Yep. And the next morning, the extra that they gathered was full of worms and rotting. Mm. And God was teaching them, no, no, you don't store up for tomorrow. You, you mm. take it today. Yeah. Except on the Sabbath. So take two, two times as much the day before the Sabbath, and that would last through. Yeah. So this was this great period of Israel being taught to trust God to provide day by day. And Paul's appealing mm. to that, mm. saying, you guys have more than you need today. Give that to the Christians in Jerusalem who are struggling. Mm. And then down the track, you might be in need and they'll have surplus that they can give to you when you're in that need. Mm. I think there's something for us to think about there as we project forward into the future and worry about our financial need that might be there. We we think and talk about financial independence, Mm. but I wonder if the Bible is encouraging us to think about financial interdependence Mm. as a Mm -hmm. church. To not just be providing for ourselves, but to see that when the time comes and we find ourselves in need, there might be others that can fill that if we fill their need now. Mm. That but requires a lot of a lot of trust in God. Trust it in, certainly did for God's Israel in the wilderness. Yeah. yeah. Like, imagine having nothing left at the end of the day and you're just waking up the next day going, well, <laughs> if God doesn't come through, we're dead. Yeah. That, that was the yeah. case. That was what it was like for them. So, yeah, we, we do, we are called to trust God as our provider. Mm. And that's, that can be a hard thing. Yeah. And that makes it that just brings up to mind the um the bit in the Lord's Prayer. Says, yeah. Give us today our daily bread. Yes. That, that's not something we may be constantly praying for because yeah. in Sydney we have so much provided for yeah. us. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. Hmm. Well, we were talking about financial independence versus interdependence. Um and so maybe this question kind of gives us a bit of detail into that. Um we're to- we're Got another question that says, um, "What does the Bible say about investing or mm. stock trading?" Um, and actually, the the question after that is, "Is this type of secular giving wrong?" Thanks for asking. I I'm not too sure what's meant by the term secular giving. I, I can't mm. see a way that investing or stock trading would be giving. Uh, but maybe I'm missing something there. So come back to me, whoever's asked this, mm. if that's something I'm missing there. Um, investing is a broad category. Stock trading a little bit more narrow. 
Uh, my, I'm not an economist. I'm not a financial trader. There's lots that I don't know about this world. But my understanding from conversations I've had is that there are a lot of financial products available that actually amount to gambling. Yeah. Um, that's my understanding. Could be wrong. Some people who work in that field, you might be able to correct me and help me out here. Mm. But it, from what I hear, there are people that are spending time essentially betting on what's going to happen yep. in the future. Yep. You know, futures trading, stuff like that. There's no actual economic gain for society and what's going on. Mm. You're only making money because someone else is losing money. Right. Yeah. And the Bible is yeah. against gambling in that way. You know, the Bible mm. doesn't it, it doesn't want us to make money off other people's loss. Mm. Mm. Um, that's not a good thing. Uh, now, there's other kind of investment that's not that. But I think kind of speculating on the stock market, the rapid trade stuff, that is probably pretty close to gambling as well, okay. yeah, in my yeah. mind. Yeah. Um, longer term investing, yeah, a different story there. And I, I was pondering this. I do wonder if it's fair to say that any form of income generation is investing in a way. Mm. Um, in the passage in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about the farmer sowing seed. I think when you sow seed, that's an investment. You've paid money for that seed. Mm. You're investing that money in the hope that it will return a greater crop that you can sell or use yeah, yeah. that outweighs the money you spent on the seed. And I think, you know, modern day economics, we're not all working the land and kind of earning our keep in that kind of farming investment. But there's always opportunity cost with the things that we do. If we're, mm. if we're on a salary, we're investing our time to earn an income. And we're trusting that that's, you know, a worthwhile trade, a worthwhile investment. Yeah. Uh, other people don't earn an income in that way. They might earn an income by investing money and getting a return mm. on that. So the employer, in a sense, is doing that. They're investing the money in the wages of their employees in the hope that that will generate some income for them at the other side. Yeah. I could be off the track economically. <laughs> I, I'm trying to learn and get my head around economics, um, but I'm an econ economist third or fourth rather than being a theologian <laughs> and biblical scholar first. So bear yep. with me as I yep. try to get my head around it. And please, if you're listening and you can correct me, Come, chat. I'd love to know. But mm. if we think about um, earning in that kind of way, then it might be if you're in a position to earn an income off investing and that's the way that you are living mm. and generating more money to then give away, that's great. Mm. Mm. That's great. I, I would put some caveats around the kinds of thing that you invest in, mm. you know? Yeah. yeah. Invest in companies and things that are actually producing good for society mm, mm. in so far as you can see that. Um, but yes, I, I think there, there can be a goodness to investing in that sense. Mm. It does bring us back to trusting God with the future though. Yeah. Uh, and I want to commend Randy Alcorn's work here. So we had some of his books mm. for sale over the last couple of weeks, uh, the treasure principle, managing God's money. Randy Alcorn encourages us on the basis of scripture to change our investment horizon. So whenever mm. you invest, there's okay. a particular horizon that you're looking at yeah, that sure. can shape what you invest in. Um, are you looking for a return three years down the track or 30 years down the track? Mm. Randy Alcon says, we're thinking too short and the Bible wants us to invest 
with a view to 30 million years down the track. Mm, How can my investment have a return in eternity? Uh, wow, that's a profound question, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, that's the way that your investment will last. That's the only way to have a wealth that won't get rusted away or moth-eaten or mm, stolen. Or mm, That's secure. You can invest into eternity. So I highly commend his work. Um, Alex Cook is a guy in Sydney as well who's got mm. some online resources, I think. His website's called Wealth with Purpose. Mm. Um, that's worth having a look at and thinking about. Mm. I think he follows similar principles to Randy Alcorn. So I've done a little course that they offer online for mm. budgeting and some help there. Um, but there's some further resources that will have a better sense of the economics than yeah. I will. Yeah. Uh, but I'm keen to learn. So if I've said anything wrong there, come chat to me and help me grow in this. Mm. Yeah. Well, so I guess that's kind of showing that there's not just... It's not just the trust in God, but there's also a, a joyful heart. Like wanting to see see people saved mm. through the money that we spend. For there's sure. a great joy there. For sure. Um, but what if someone's not experiencing joy? Like in life or in the particular season of life or just not feeling joy? Um, if that person who's not experiencing that joy mm. is still giving, are they still being blessed? Hmm. The language of blessing is intriguing in this context. And, you know, if, if you've asked this and this is your experience of life at the moment, I'd love to chat further. Um, there's a bit of discussion debate around whether how much the blessed language in the Bible overlaps with happiness. Mm. So some English translations just go with that. Instead of saying blessed, they'll say happy is the person who. Oh, yeah, I've, uh, heard, I've heard that before. Yeah. Actually, yeah. Is happiness the same as joy? Is there a difference there? bit of conversation that mm. we could go into around that, but I don't want to press into that on this question about giving. What I would say here uh, is that, you know, generally in such a case like this, I would imagine if someone is trusting God and they're giving financially out of that trust, then there'll be various blessings in their life objectively. Mm. They'll still mm. be being provided for by God. Mm. They'll have, you know, the righteousness that comes from that, the generosity in their heart, that grace of God will be operating in mm. them if they're giving. Uh, they'll still have some deepened relationships going on mm. with the people that they're giving to. And God will still be getting the glory. So plenty of blessings still there objectively. Mm. But for various reasons, sometimes subjectively we just don't see that. Yeah. So they're still yeah. blessed in the objective sense, uh, if that language fits the biblical framework. Mm. But they might be struggling to see that blessing. Now, that might be because chemicals, hormones within their body yeah. are out of whack at the moment. That can happen. Mm. Uh, it might be that something else in life is just eclipsing the blessing at the moment. And so they, mm. they can't see it. It's there, mm. but there's something that's covering it over and, and drawing their sight away. Yeah. Uh, so even if they're not experiencing the joy in that moment, um, the objective blessings mm. probably mm. still there. As for finding that experience of joy, we need to talk further with yeah. someone in that spot yeah. and just think through what's robbing them of their joy. Mm. Might be something yeah. that can't be changed quickly. Yeah. Uh, might be something that we can pray for and work towards and um, refocus the vision. Yeah. yeah. Could be lots of things there. Yeah. Well, a lot of things there. Um, well, we'll do a bit of a shifting gear now. Um, someone's asked a question about the prosperity gospel. Mm, we've um, talked a bit about that on Sunday. Yeah. 
Um, you did bring it up and actually addressed it pretty quick, like pretty clearly. Um, but someone's asked you, can someone who believes in the prosperity gospel still be saved? Hmm. I think it depends what's meant by believing in the prosperity gospel. Yeah. You know, yeah. it, it puts me in mind of talking about whether Catholics can be saved. And there's a difference, right, between the mm. person that sits in the Catholic church each Sunday and the, the teaching of the Catholic church. You know, the written mm. down teaching of the Catholic church is anti-gospel and mm. that's what you're believing, then no. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, but you might sit in a Catholic church and not believe the written down doctrine of the church. You might yep. believe the gospel mm. and be saved. And I, there might be something similar here. What, what do we mean by believing the prosperity gospel? Does that mean being in a church that's teaching that? Does that mean having something of a hope and expectation that God will bless you financially? Mm. Um, there could be a range. If you full on believe that God's promise for you is wealth and prosperity in this life, I think you'll struggle to be saved. Mm. Uh, I think you've probably missed the good news of the gospel. Yeah. which is salvation in eternity. Uh, now, possibly you will still have faith in Jesus for salvation while believing that God's will for you is to prosper in this life. There is a possibility for that. I think the test will come when that prosperity gets taken away or doesn't mm. come. And mm. sadly, we see that with churches that teach the prosperity gospel. People yeah. come in full of eagerness and hope, but then the promises don't pay off mm. and they walk away from the faith because it, mm. it wasn't what mm. they came to expect. Yeah. Um, so that is certainly something that can happen. It, it's like the different soils that we heard about recently in Matthew mm. 13. Uh, when affliction comes, if your expectation yeah. wasn't for that, then you will fade away and not bear fruit. Yeah. Alongside that, if, if maybe the affliction doesn't come, maybe you get the wealth and the prosperity uh, that's still a great temptation that might draw you away from Christ. Mm. The, the same soils story talks about the worries of the world and the deceitfulness mm. of wealth that chokes out faith in Christ. Yeah. Or in Matthew 19, we saw the rich young ruler who Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. Um, having the wealth can lead you away from Christ and, mm. and mean that you're not trusting him. Maybe you're worshiping mammon. Mm. You can't serve both God and money. Jesus says. Yeah. So I, yeah, theoretically, there's a possibility mm-hmm. here. Yeah. In practice and reality, uh, I would have a decent amount of concern for someone mm. who is holding the prosperity yeah, gospel. Yeah. Certainly someone who's teaching it, mm. I would have strong concern and want to have strong conversation with. Yeah. But someone who's believing it, yeah, I'd have strong concern and be wanting to bring them back to Jesus and to see the true mm. hope of the gospel which is not in this life, but actually beyond this life. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose there's a bit of examining of the heart there. Um, mm. If you're seeking the prosperity gospel for what it brings you in this life, then I guess you have to ask the question, what is your hope? Mm. Um, are you hoping for something which is essentially short-term? Mm. Or are you hoping for a greater joy mm. in mm. The, the life to come? Yeah. Um, yeah. No, that's true. Um, well, okay, how do we... This is a question about the the poor, because um, one of the calls is to give um, to those in need. Mm. Um, so how do we give money to the poor, uh, not knowing if they'll misuse it? Um, or they're poor because they're too lazy to work. 
Um, is there any wisdom on how to give to the poor? And I actually want to add just a side note for my own reflection. Uh, back when I was in university, we'd walk through the central tunnel mm. to get to the south gate. Mm. And walking through that, there were probably at least 10 marginalized people just sitting on the side. And it was always a struggle going, um, do I, should I give mm. some of my mm. like spare cash to these people? Because mm. um, I don't know how they'll use it. And that's kind of the sentiment that runs around. Yeah. Yeah. And, and because of that practicality of how in your face it is, it's, it's really worthwhile to think through. Um, context is helpful, I think, in these kind of conversations. A couple of points of context come to mind. One is within New South Wales, within Australia, uh, our government is quite active and there are lots of non-government organisations that are active mm. in providing assistance for those who are in need. I see. Um, often those who are struggling just so I don't want to overgeneralize here. I won't say often. Let me say sometimes those that we see are for various reasons not accessing that assistance. I see. That's one principle or one context that we want to hold and remember. Mm. But the other context is to remember these people are humans and we want to treat people with dignity, mm. not with distrust and not by making their decisions for them on how to use the resources that they have. Mm -hmm. We might disagree with those decisions. We might not think that mm -hmm. they're wise, but I think part of treating people with dignity is giving them that choice. Mm -hmm. So there's a couple of contextual decisions okay. or contextual factors yeah, I think yeah. at play in this. But what that leads for me um, personally, uh, if I'm walking past someone like that, uh, generally, unless I'm stopping to have a longer conversation, mm -hmm. um, I, I won't just give money off the bat, mm -hmm. but if it's someone that I can build a connection with, have a conversation with, mm -hmm. and sometimes that's gone well. I think of one time you, you bring up being at uni, I think of one time at uni where I started to have that conversation and the person got quite offended that I would want to get to know them more. And, wow. um, they, they obviously didn't want that level of help. Mm. Uh, mm. but there are the great stories of people being you know there on the in the tunnel um being taken for lunch yeah. and actually yeah. being given some more than just money being given advice and help mm. to get them into some work mm. that has meant they've been able to yeah provide and yeah. thrive um so a couple of things going on there I think that's where we talked earlier about whether money comes through the local church or through organizations or individuals. Uh, we are blessed, I think, to have a number of organizations working to help people in these mm. ways. Mm. Uh, and they'll have more wisdom and insight um, and ability to give support in the ways that are most helpful. Yeah. Uh, more than I can as an individual in a passing mm. moment. Yeah. yeah. That doesn't override the person's dignity. I want to keep coming back to that context mm. and going that we've got to treat people as people, not as subhuman. Yes. And yeah. there can be a terrible tendency as we walk past people to treat them in subhuman ways. To categorize them differently. For yeah. 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 So let's avoid that. Mm. But yes, let's think about the, the structural ways that we can bring more lasting help. Um, that might be something that we can do personally, but it might be at an organisational level. Uh, I did want to bring up in this conversation, um, 
couple of verses that I think factor in. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, uh, it's a theme that is actually in 1 Thessalonians as well, mm. but Paul puts it a little bit more sharply in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. He says in verse 10, talking about how he, even when he was with them, worked hard to provide for himself. Mm. says, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They're not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. Yikes. Well, it's a, it's a good principle. So, I think yeah. he's going, uh, you know, and for some who are listening, that might be something to hear. Mm. Um, mm. If you've got the ability to work, you should be working. Mm. Uh the current employment market in Australia, um, there's work available. Mm. Might not be work that you love, might not be the work that you want, mm. but I think Paul says, if you can work, go find some work to do mm. so that you can mm. provide food for yourself to eat. And if you're unwilling to do that, then the support from the community shouldn't come. Now, I'm aware that we talked about walking past people in the street. Sometimes those people are in that category where they can't work. Yes. They have an yep. inability for various reasons. Mm. That's not what this is talking about. Mm -hmm. It's not that they're unwilling to work, it's that they're unable to work. Yep. Um, and that's a different thing. Mm. But if there's an unwillingness, and I think that brings me to another passage in Galatians, where in the context of our kindness and our good works, Galatians 6 verse 10, mm. Paul says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Mm. There is a starting point for Christians in generosity to look after the needs of the poor who are Christians. Mm. It doesn't stop there. He says to do good to all, yeah, but especially to those of the household. And perhaps we would have a better indication of what people are doing with our generosity when they are within the household. Yeah, okay. uh, We'd have a better way of seeing whether they're unwilling to work or unable to work. Mm. Mm. Uh, and that can give us some context to decide what to do. Yeah. So I haven't fully answered the question, um, but there's some of the principles around it. Treat people with dignity um, and be thankful for the organisations that are helping structurally in this mm. space. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot here. Like, we've talked a lot about giving. Um, I know for me, it's sometimes a struggle for me to to think about my intentions when I give. Mm. Like, giving out of pure obligation... Um, am I giving out of a, a joyful heart? Um, sometimes it's hard to tell. Sometimes it's a bit of both. Um, and so there's a question here from someone submitted, uh, which says, what are some practical tips to strive being generous out of a pure heart when we may struggle behind our intention of giving for the aforementioned, quote, rewards mm. in giving? Yeah. What, what kind of intention, what motivation should we have for our giving? I think the rewards that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 9 are good motivating things. Hmm. Yeah, I think he's trying to motivate giving by telling us about them, or mm -hmm. telling the Corinthians mm -hmm. about them. So he thinks it's okay to be motivated by those things. And as you think about what they are, you know, the rewards are God growing you to be more like Jesus. That's a good thing. Yeah. You want to be generous yeah. like Jesus is mm -hmm. generous. You know, he's growing your righteousness, your godly character. Uh, it's the result of God being praised and thanked for the generosity that he's worked in you. Mm. That's a good thing. Yeah. If that's motivating yeah. you, that's great. 
the others, God providing for your needs. Well, that's more at the level of trust. I, I know I use the language of reward, but it's mm. know that as you give, you're not going to be leaving yourself in need. Yeah. God will yeah. provide. Mm. So I don't think that's a, again, a negative or an ungodly reward to be motivated. These are good things. Mm. It's okay to be motivated by them. The language of a pure heart, I mean, maybe what was in mind here, um, there are hypocritical, dodgy ways to give, and mm. Jesus picks up on some of that in Matthew 6. Yep. I know this was your question, wasn't it, Tinnick? What do we do with Matthew 6, giving in secret? Mm. Do you want to read those? Have you flicked that open for I us? have, I have. Do you want to read those few verses for us? Sure. Uh, so it's Matthew 6, starting at verse 1, going to 4. Uh, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your, your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Really helpful corrective from Jesus there. Mm. I think the the purity of heart that's going on there is, you know, uh, do you want others to see you as generous? Do mm. you want the reputation mm. more than the reality? That was always the issue for the yeah. Pharisees and yep. the hypocrites that Jesus critiques here. Uh, they want the reputation, not the reality. Mm. And so if you're giving, um, I think you, you particularly asked him about the deepened relationships with those who you give towards. Yeah. I mean, Paul talks yeah. about that. And I think that's a, you know, the, the people that you're giving towards, yes, they'll know that you've given. You, you can give in secret ways and that's okay mm -hmm. as well. But I think that's not the secrecy that Jesus is talking about. I think Jesus is talking about bringing a third party in and going, hey, watch me as I give this to someone oh, else. Yeah, Have yeah. you seen? Ring the bell. Make sure everyone knows. Yeah. Here's my great gift. Mm. Um, I'm just reflecting on um, what Peter was saying about the culture of um, of that time. Was yeah. You actually needed to proclaim what you yes. were doing because that's how you gained a good reputation. Mm. Like, mm. Uh, was it Augustus who had an entire wall mm. of... Uh, proclamations about what mm. he did and that was mm. just normal whereas mm. nowadays we'd be a lot more averse to that yeah hopefully yes but that, that gives us yes. a bit of context to, yeah, yeah, to yeah. the kind of yeah. fanfare yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and i think you know in the in the wider world of philanthropy you get some of that oh, where yeah. Yeah. you know people want to make sure the plaque or their name is attached to the building uh, that yep, they're yep, funded yep. um Sometimes that's just right recognition, but sometimes that is the parading to go, this is my legacy and I want my name to be remembered alongside this. Mm. Uh, whereas the great generosity that went into, say, building the classic cathedrals of the church, that there's not, no plaques there. Mm. No one knows mm -hmm. the builders that gave their time, the people that gave the money. Yeah. Um, there's, there's the secret. Now, in that time, people mm. might have known who was giving what, but they weren't parading that for others to see and to be remembered yeah. by. Um, so I think that's it's the bringing in of a third party I where the issue yeah. comes in, and if that's your motive, the reputation rather than the reality, then mm. that's an issue. But the the rewards that True Corinthians speaks of, it's the godliness of Christ and the praise and glory of God, not your glory, because mm. you don't deserve. It. Yeah, it's God's money and it's God's generosity in you by His Spirit. Mm. Um, it's all it's all Him. Yeah, not us. Yeah, and I wanted to just share like one of I guess just having done MTS, doing MTS, and having had to do support raising, mm. 
finding financial partners. Mm. It's actually like a great joy to have people partner with me. Yeah. Um, because I can see that they've also got a gospel shaped heart that wants the gospel to be to be proclaimed, and so I actually do think there has been deeper relationships because of that. Um, there are people that I see constantly. People invite us over for dinner, like that. Mm. That's just. There is deep in relationships, and mm. I can attest to that. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's great. That's good, uh, friends. That brings us to the end of our questions. I hope that's been a helpful kind of extension of our discussion on generosity. I might just finish where we started with that verse from two Corinthians chapter nine. Uh, I've got to flick back there from Matthew. I got stuck. Where are we? Two Corinthians nine, verse. I'll read six and seven. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Have a great week being cheerful, being givers. And we'll see you again in coming weeks to talk about loving one another and being a community of fellowship together. So we look forward to that discussion next time. 